from the boring studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another insect-infested episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Have you ever had your squash plants suddenly collapse midsummer? On today's show, we'll reveal how to defeat the weird little moth whose babies are paralyzing your pumpkins and zapping your zucchini. Plus, author Lorraine Boletto explains why you could be doing much better with your hydrangeas. And your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and symphonically suggestive subjugations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than your unmolested zucchini can turn into a baseball bat right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of your life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of PBS 39 in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we got a jam-packed show for you today, cats and kittens. We have Lorraine Boletto, who has written a great book about hydrangeas, who's going to explain why you never get flowers, but you will after you listen to her interview. We're also going to discuss a serious pest that's just going to hit your gardens over the next couple of weeks called the squash vine borer. If you love your zucchini and pumpkins, you won't want to miss it. And you won't. It's coming up after a whole bunch of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Catherine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Catherine. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am just ducky. Where is Catherine well? I am in Rutland, Massachusetts, which is in the Worcester Hills. Rutland, Massachusetts. I know a Rutland, Vermont. There used to be, a, still could be, a very famous Halloween parade there um, every year. I guess, I guess your streets were just as rutted as the, they were. Uh, they are uh, in equally poor shape, but it's a charming little town and with lots of farms and gardens nearby. So I have lots of inspiration. Excellent. All right. What can we do you for, Catherine? So two autumns ago, I built my raised beds. Um, I had worked in a community garden, so I was confident that I could build the cedar raised beds and reach across four-foot beds no problem. Right. And then last summer, I realized that I had made a fatal flaw, which is that my four-foot beds are lined by fencing on at least one side. And so I can't quite easily reach across them because I can't get to them from either side. And so I end up stepping in them in order to weed them and everything. Mm-hmm. And so they get compacted, and then I have to cultivate them every year, and then I get weeds. Right. So, and so you, you I'm can't... wondering if this is a permanent problem until I rebuild the beds sometime in the distant future, or if there's something that I can do to deal with the compaction and the weeds now. Oh, well, tell, tell me, wh- I, I'm, I'm a little lost here. Exactly what happened uh, to make the beds wider or did you miscalculate well i knew i i built four foot beds but previously i had 
had them in uh, a space that didn't have fences. Fences. And, and now I have them at home in inside a 16 by 16 foot fence. And so at least one side of every bed has a fence along it. So I oh. can't easily reach from both sides. Oh, okay. Uh, what about uh, can you reach the other sides, the shorter sides? So um, I have at least one long side free on every bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have short sides free on all except one. I have one that's a full 16 foot by four foot bed. Right. And that has fences on three sides. Well, <laughs> good fences do not make good gardeners, do they? It sounds like you're I'm, a little, are you a little tight on space at your property as well? No, um, we have plenty of space. Um, I was just trying to maximize, uh, maximize space and minimize fencing and also um, compromise with my lawn-loving spouse. Okay, so... Uh, the fences are not property line fences. No, not at all. Okay, what are they made of? What what kind of fencing is it? They are vinyl fences with um, fairly well sunk in posts. Okay, not a lot of gaps or openings or anything like that. Mm-mm. There's there's a fair gap along the ground which mm-hmm. I filled in with chicken wire in order to keep out the friendly bunnies that were enjoying my lettuce. Okay, good, good. That was a good thing to do. So I think what we want to do here is we want to help you establish a stale seed bed. Um, yeah, okay. I, I presume you've already tilled up your soil for this year? Yes, and, and have plantings in at least in part of all of the beds. Okay. Ideally, what you would do is because you have been stepping in your beds. Um, next season, you want to till the beds up. Again, it's a necessary evil because you're compacting the soil, as you say. Then you want to level them out, and you want mm-hmm. to water them um, twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening for like 10 days. We want okay. you. We want you to germinate every weed seed that you uncovered and then buried again. And then I want you to either I want you to get a diamond hoe with a long handle. Uh, this is a hoe with a very small blade. It's like a single-edged razor blade, um, mm-hmm. but it's as sharp as a single-edged razor blade. And they're replaceable when they get dull. You just screw the new one in. So from wherever you can stand, make sure the handle is extra long. You mm-hmm. look at your weedy bed. And you just glide this, especially if it's brand new or has a brand new blade, it's going to be like a good shave. It's just going to slash Mm -hmm. all those little weedies off at the soil line, take their little heads off. And then you want to wait, you know, a couple of days. But typically at that age and that tenderness, um, I don't care what kind of a weed it was, taking its head off at that stage should finish it off. You shouldn't have to um, do any further weeding of that kind. And then I can see these old uh, drawings in my head uh, from Organic Gardening Magazine where people made your mistake or just decided to do something different 
and they created little boardwalks that would take them across the short end of the bed. Yeah. So I don't know if you're, you or your hubby are talented with working with wood or if there's somebody in the area, but basically you want a portable thing that's about three planks long that's held together really well, and then when you have to get to the other side of your bed, you'll go along this, it'll be sitting on top of the frames, and mm, you, mm-hmm. you, you won't compact the soil, which means it has to be supported with struts underneath. Um, but then you can just move it around, and that way you're not compacting your soil anymore, but you can still get to every portion of the bed. Okay, perfect. So can I do that as soon as the ground thaws next spring? Well, that's, that, that, that's always the issue, because you shouldn't work muddy soil. I would waste no time in having the little boardwalk made for you right now so you can stop compacting yes. the soil. And then if we get a really dry fall, a nice dry stretch where the soil is nice and dry, I would, I would do the tilling and stale seed bedding then. And ideally, uh, then just cover all your beds with well-shredded leaves, and you get a much faster planting time in the spring. All right? Sounds good. All right, Catherine, good luck. Thank you very much for your help. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye-bye. The number to call, 833-727-9588. Arian, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Arian. Um, how are you? I am good. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Arian good? I am in Norman, Oklahoma. Stormin Norman. I love my Oklahoma City people area. That's just, uh, you, you guys are... Fabulous gardeners against all odds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hot here and wet lately. And don't forget the wind. Oh, that wind yes. comes Lots of wind, for whipping sure. off the plains. What can we do for you? <laughs> um, so I recently bought a new house, my husband and I did, and it is full of Nandina. Mm-hmm. Like there are literally probably a hundred or more Nandina plants on this property. Right. And we are wanting to get rid of most of them. There's, I mean, I wouldn't mind one here or there, but they essentially cover the entire perimeter of our lot and wrap all the way around the house itself. Um, and it's a third an acre lot, so it's a relatively big lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions on how to get rid of these. It's not going to involve me having to hand dig these hundreds of plants out. <laughs> Well, if you don't see one thing people forget, you know, they watch these roundup ads on TV, um, like the one where the guy's a cowboy, he's got a holster for the sprayer and everything, (laughs) and he shoots this plant and then miraculously it vaporizes. When in reality, all it does is turn brown and ugly and then he's got to reach down and pull it out. So, (laughs) you know, you could have reached down and pulled it out before, you know, before you got it contaminated with carcinogenic substances. So even spraying with organic herbicides, which are available today, the plants don't vanish. You know, sooner or later, they got to come out of there. So, um, and you say uh, you're new homeowners? Uh, Well, this is our second home. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, but, we moved in in February. Yeah, so you're new homeowners at this house. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Right. So um, what I would do, this is not a bad time. Um, has it turned dry there already? Uh, no. We had more rain this morning. Okay. And I think we're supposed to get more rain the rest of the week. Okay. Well, this is the time. Uh, what I would suggest, have a pulling party. Um, the roots are going to come up the easiest when the soil is wet which is not really reliable once we get into the summer with you guys. So sure. I would have like, you know, a little barbecue, you know, a, a, a case of uh, perhaps adult beverages, another case of like um, energy drinks or spring water, and um, just work a quadrant at a time. Pick a corner and clear that all out and then move on. Make sure everybody has gloves and everything like that. But really, that's what it comes down to. If you knock it down with an herbicide of any kind, you're going to have to pull it, and it's not gonna come out as easy because now okay. it's dead, and it, it, it's just gonna be a mess, and it'll probably come back. So really, okay. the good answer is to, is to pull it. Your other option, would be to literally mow it down, do whatever you can to like uh, cut it close to the earth, cut it close to the surfaces it's, it's grabbing onto, anything like that, and really scalp it everywhere, and then cover that area with two or three inches of the cleanest mulch you can get, certainly not dyed wood. Uh, but arborist wood chips uh, would be good for this. Um, and that's pretty much what's going to be available in Oklahoma. You're, you're not big on pine straw there. That's more towards the, right. that's more towards the eastern coast. So, yeah, uh, you know, get, uh, you mow it down, you clip it down, you cut it down, and then you cover the roots two or three inches deep. And any plants that emerge from that deep pile of mulch, you can just spray them with household vinegar and they'll, and they'll, um, they'll cuddle up and die right away. Just full strength vinegar because they will have had to fight their way through the mulch. And then I would leave that on obviously until at least next spring. You know, two years would be better, but then you got a clean slate and you didn't have to pull it off. Okay. Okay. That's what I was hoping with something that would get me out of pulling at least some of it. Yeah, but really, this is when you're mowing the areas where it is, you want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. Okay, so really get it down low. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to okay. stress it, and then you want to smother it. S and S. Okay. Okay. All right, great. All right, good um, luck to you. Can I ask you one more quick question? Uh, go ahead. You can try. <laughs> okay. Um, English ivy. We also have English ivy growing that has been pulled down to the ground level, but it's now starting to creep back up again. Would a similar tactic work with that? Can I just cut it down low and mulch over it? Uh, you, no. Um, okay. in this, no, in this case, you're going to have to prune it off at the soil line. You don't have to pull okay. out the roots. Uh, you okay. should, um, but you have to prune it off at the soil line and get the living plants out of there and then mulch it heavily. If you leave the ivy underneath, that will come out like Godzilla. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. You didn't look at this house real close before you bought it, did you? 
We did not. We were uh, pressed for time, and the house itself was great. The yard needs lots of work, <laughs> yeah. but we're getting there slowly. Just, just remember, you shouldn't try to do it all in one day, one week, one month, or one season. Take yes. your time. Gardening should be fun. You want to do it in the early morning when it's cool. You want to do it during nice stretches of weather, but you don't want to have this false deadline where you're going to kill yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear in Philadelphia on Tuesday, July 16th to host an evening of horticultural quizzo at the PHS Pop-Up Garden on South Street. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with hydrangea horrors, pumpkin problems, and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 WLVT in beautiful Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm beautiful Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the squash vine borer drives zucchini lovers crazy, killing the plant outright just as it was about to produce your delicious little fruits. We'll tell you how to conquer that pest in the question of the week. We're also going to take more of your fabulous phone calls, but now it is time to welcome our special guest, Lorraine Bellotto, who is going to talk to us about hydrangeas, who is the author of Success with Hydrangeas, a gardener's guide. Uh, Lorraine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me. I get thank you for being had. Hydrangeas confuse people more than any other garden plant, certainly any other garden shrub. There is no one set type of hydrangeas. There are some very different, radically different uh, flower shapes. Where do hydrangeas originate? Where, where was the original form found? Well, it depends on which one you're talking about. So if you talk about hydrangea macrophylla, which is the big leaf hydrangea, that's the one with the elusive blue flower that people are always wanting to have. That one comes out of Japan. Okay. That comes out of Asia. So you're talking about the big leaf hydrangea. Right from uh, 
from the Orient, that's like the mop head. That's Correct. the big pom-pom flowers. And the lace caps, yep, yep. And now describe what a lace cap is. So the lace cap uh, has the same shape, it's nice and big and round, and people think that the flower is going to open some more because you have flower petals on the outside, but nothing happens on the inside to the naked eye. But of course that's not true. Uh, that's where actually bees can access the pollen and you get a lace cap a flower and you have bees all over the plant. It's much more accessible with the quote unquote unopened flower, which it really isn't. They're sterile. And so they don't open to the same degree as you see what's going on on the outer ring, but that's where the pollen is and that's where the bees go to. And so if you have a lace cap hydrangea, you're going to find bees all over it. Very, in contrast to the mop head, the pollen is not readily accessible. Okay. and it's much harder for them. These are all Asian. Correct. Okay, so what about the Native American? Is this the Christmas tree-shaped flowers? Uh, well, the, it is a Christmas tree-shaped flower, but the Native ones are going to be the oak leaf hydrangea, mm -hmm. which has that fabulous red fall foliage. So oak leaf hydrangeas are the ones that have a beautiful fall foliage. They call it oak leaf because their foliage looks like an oak, but it's not, of course. They like the shade. They're very drought tolerant when they get established. Um, the age, and the, as the flower ages, it can turn, initially it would only go from white to pale pink. The newer versions on the market now almost go to a deep rosy color. They've been improved and some of them can be quite small. They don't have to be as large as they used to be. So there's been great progress uh, for oak leaf hydrangeas, which are native to this country. And uh, where does limelight come in? Limelight is a panicle hydrangea. So that one, um, is a very different kind of hydrangea. That one loves the sun. Complete, the more sun you give it, the happier it is. Some of them can be very small, as small as 18 to 24 inches. They can take the place of a perennial, and others can be as tall as seven to eight feet. One called limelight is very popular and can be a big, big plant. See, because I, I, I believe I have, um, well, I know I've got the, um, oh God, I'm, I'm, oh, I know I've got the mop head. Right. Um, I know I've got a mop head. I know I can make a change color. I can, uh, what I love to do actually is I have a line of three of them and I will dust a lot of wood ash uh, oh. behind them. Okay. And then I'll dust a lot of peat moss in front of them. And that way in the middle, the blue flowers meet the pink flowers and I'll get both colors right. on the flowers that run down the middle of the plant. That's exciting. There's actually a plant on the market now that's been genetically bred to give you multiple colors without having to resort to those kinds of activities. Yeah, but not with uh, inserted genes, just the normal. No, it's, it's, been, it's been bred to do that. So it's called L.A. Dreamin. Yeah. And on the same plant, you'll have different colors of flowers without having to play with the soil chemistry. So back to hydrangeas. You've already rattled off like six different kinds, right? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Not yet, not yet. Keep so, going. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Right, so you have the, the big leaf, you have the panicle, you have the oak leaf, you have the arborescence. What you also have is hydrangea serrata, mm -hmm. which is again, so with serrated, serrated leaf, leaves. Serrated right. leaves, which looks very similar to the mop head. So, and then they have climbing hydrangea, which is another fabulous plant, and that's a vine. Now, Lace that that is a plant that I'm totally unfamiliar oh, with. Oh, it's so. magnificent. It's absolutely magnificent. Is it self-supporting? Um, you can grow it as a vine, mm -hmm. or you can let it scramble along the ground, and it's a great ground cover. Okay. It's fabulously fragrant. When you read about it, that's not written. That's not mm -hmm. in the literature. Well, it's in my book. 
because right. it's one thing to be beautifully enjoyed in the garden, and the flowers hold for a long period of time. Plus, it grows in the shade. Okay, great. And people love shade plants. Uh, what do the flowers look like? Lace cap, white flowers, aged to a kind of a creamy color, mm -hmm. and then they just sit there on the plant, and it blooms only on last year's growth. Okay. So you don't touch it with the pruners after August 1st. Okay. So, Verboten. Um, you want to talk any any other favorites? No, or those, you want are, to get, those are the six. You want to get right to death by pruning. <laughs> if you want to do death by pruning, we can certainly do that. Okay. So I will tell you what I have been telling people for literally the last 30 years. Um, one of the first radio shows I did, I had a guy on, and I apologize, I can't remember if it was the Morris Arboretum or the Tyler Arboretum. You know, the Philadelphia area loaded, you can't swing a right. dead cat without hitting an arboretum. Right. So this was their hydrangea master, and he was considered the master of hydrangea pruning. And I get him on the show, and I go, ah, oh, I've been waiting to talk to you. Um, I, I'm so confused by hydrangea pruning. And he goes, so am I. And I go, what? Because I don't know anything about hydrangea pruning. But between the two of us, we figured out a foolproof technique, which is when the plants green up in the spring, you leave them alone. Right. When everything continues through that, you leave them alone. When the flower heads begin to form, you leave them alone. And then when you're sure all the flowers are out and open, you go in and prune away anything that looks dead. Or in my case, I advocate pruning uh, flowerless uh, stalks that are in front of the best flowers, just so it looks like you've got more of them. And then after that, you go back to not doing anything again. Okay. So at least, you know, for sure, you're not cutting off next year's right. flowers. Right. So what's, what's the real deal? Well, the first one, people, it's the question I get all the time. Why doesn't my plant bloom, which is also related to how do I prune? So the first question you have to answer is which plant are you talking about because pruning techniques are different on all of them. Right. So what you've just described is for the big leaf hydrangeas. And that's the one, that's the most popular one on the market. That's the one that makes everybody crazy. I call it the troublemaker. Mm -hmm. And the first quest, the first rule is you don't. That's what they call me. Right, there you go. <laughs> well, you see, it takes one to know one, yeah. right? So, so you don't touch that with a pruner from August 1st through the time you see the little flower heads, which you've described. That's mm. called broccoli, by the right. way. So you wait till you see broccoli. And that's because the hydrangea on the old wood puts their flowers under two conditions. One is short day length, which means after June 21st, mm -hmm. and second condition is nights consistently below 60 degrees. Oh, okay. So when the plant gets into that zone, mm -hmm. that's, it, that's when it starts putting on its buds. Well, depending on where you are, that'll take six to eight weeks of time, in the weather, of course, right. and so by about November 1st, the flower buds for next year are already set on the plant. So this is something we talk about on the show a lot. Right. When Lorraine says old wood, right. this is exactly the same thing in one sense as azaleas, rhododendrons, forsythia, right. all, you know, fruits, right. all of the things that will become your flowers are already set towards the end of summer, sometimes fairly early Correct. in summer. So any pruning you do, and this is my biggest peeve with garden writers, is can we please get to a September and can you not do an article about cleaning up the garden? Mm. 
because so many people who should be responsible are saying, cut this back, cut that right. back. Uh, that's not horticulture. That's Martha Stewart having an obsessive compulsive <laughs> moment. You know, nobody does that in the woods. No. And, you know, gee, I've been pruning my azaleas in the fall for 30 years, and I still don't know what color the flowers are. Big clue. So old wood right. means the previous year. Correct. Now, some plants, especially summer bloomers in general, would more reliably bloom on new wood. Correct. Only uh, So the panicle hydrangeas bloom on current year's growth, new wood, and the woodland hydrangeas bloom on current year's growth, new wood. So no amount of crazy pruning, no amount of deer browse, no amount of winter weather is going to stop them from putting out a flower, unless you make the mistake of going out there now, which is May, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, early June, and, and you cut now, you either delay your flower completely or you eliminate your flower completely because those buds are already there and coming up. Yeah. Do you uh, agree that uh, gardeners have this obsession with pruning when they'd be better off if they didn't even own a pair of pruners? That's one of the things I try to help people understand is to be very judicious about it. And if you do nothing, it's probably the best thing for, the, for most plants. Yeah. Kids, if you find yourself out in the garden with a pair of pruners and you don't know exactly what you're going to do, go inside, turn on the TV, have a glass of wine, right. put the pruners in a box, send them to a friend in Australia, right. and tell that friend to send them back by the slowest possible right. method. Lock them up. Or I tell my audiences to send your head pruner on a fishing trip. Yeah, oh yeah, well. <laughs> send them on a fishing trip. We, we don't have time to get into helpful men. <laughs> helpful men are the last thing many plants see. Right, exactly. Now, you've got your dried flower heads here. <laughs> um, and these look a lot like what came off my plant. Now, at this time of year, of course, I am cleaning it up. I am mm -hmm. pulling off the old faded flower mm -hmm. heads and I'm pruning back the the stems that are so old they'd be firewood starters. Right. Um, and then I know I'm going to get a great show and then I'm going to do that selective pruning to make sure that you can see the best flowers. Mm -hmm. um, two things. First, the heads are often a little too heavy. So what do you do anything to support your no, heads? No, that's just the way the plant's going to grow. Your particular plant, it might be the way it's sighted. It's reaching sometimes for more light or mm -hmm. trying to withdraw because it's got too much light. So mm -hmm. it might do that. It might be something in the moisture uh, composition in the soil that it's going to have a weaker stem. But if we're not pruning it, so you can't strengthen that stem. But this is a very different stem. This is not a dried flower, just a right. dried flower. People get rose bouquets. I bring dead flower stems. Yeah. <laughs> But this is very different, and this is one of the things for people who garden in cold climates, it's very important. So if we have a terrible winter, like I've had a severe winter last year, and I actually have a chart which talks about some below zero temperatures we had for successive days, which mm -hmm. kill the flowers because they're sitting out on those stems yes. all winter long. So I'll lose my first flush of flowers on my big leaf hydrangeas. I won't get any show at all. But this is the stem from a reblooming hydrangea, and what makes it different is you see you don't get the flower from the tip of the stem. Let's see if I can get this so I don't mess it up the studio. Here we go. So you don't get the flower from the tip of the stem, which is here. Mm -hmm. What happens is the plant has the capacity to produce flowers all along the length of that old wood. This is new wood that grows in the current year, gives you a flower in the current year. So when this one is a dud because it's been blasted by the winter, right. 
you have hope. So you got insurance. You got it. And for cold climate gardeners, it is the only way to get big leaf hydrangeas is to go for reblooming ones. As you replace your plants, do this. So one thing we experienced here, it wasn't last winter. Last winter here was very mild mm. in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey. We had, I think, an early frost and then a late right. frost. Nobody had flowers. Exactly, but Nobody. it was like fig trees. The plants survived. Right. How do you explain to a gardener that they did nothing wrong but this is why gardening is always a crapshoot. I mean, if you if you want to know that you're going to get something out of it that you want, take up woodworking. Don't mess with plants. Well, not this one. You know, not this one. This one is persnickety when it comes to its, its blooming capability. It's always when you buy it for hardiness, you're talking about root hardiness, but not stem hardiness. And that's one of the things that's being worked on to try to cross the panicle hydrangeas with the hydrangea max, the big leaf hydrangeas, to get better stem hardiness. God, how many varieties would you say there are? Thousands. There are thousands of them. And we don't even see, we, we don't see most of them. What, uh, what I also urge people to do, um, no fall pruning of any kind. There is no plant None. that needs to be cut back in the fall. And the way I, I give an example is, let's say you've got a rose bush or a hydrangea that's 36 inches tall right now. Um, you want to cut it back because you're tired of looking at it. Well, that's just for you. That's not for the plant. Let's say you cut it back to a foot off the ground, and we have a killing frost that kills the top 18 right. inches of the plant. Well, if you took off 12, then you may have even damaged the root Correct. system. Right. But if you've got 30, 36 inches of plant material, the top may get frosted, right. but you're starting out with a lot of living biomass right. that doesn't need to be replaced. You may get that first run of flowers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So no, the fall pruning, and in fact, there are people that talk about pr pruning the panicle, the newwood hydrangeas, they'll talk about pruning them in the fall. And I say, if you want to, that plant has to go completely dormant, which means the leaves fall off on their own. You don't pull them off. That's right. Because otherwise, every time you prune, you stimulate the plant, and you don't want the plant to put its energies toward growth in the fall. Oh, that's, You want it to go to sleep. That's my favorite. We yeah. get a nice day right. in November. No. I'm going to go out and clean up the garden. It's 70, 75, 80 the next three days. The plants, as you say, are stimulated by right. pruning. Right. They grow. And then the next night, it's 18. And all that right. new sap just freezes and right. splits the plant right. open. Right, splits the plant open. Yeah. It's a very and bad idea. Any pruning in the fall is going to remove some winter protection. Correct. You know, the old line, you know, snow is the best mulch. And the more branches you have to hold the snow, right. the better it is. People misunderstand. It's nice and warm under the snow, right. much warmer than the air temperature. It is. It's a great blanket. When we have low snow, what happens is on the hydrangea, large leaf hydrangeas, you'll see flowers all on the lower six to eight or ten inches because yeah. that's where the snow line was. Yeah. And anything above it, Zip. Got blasted. Right. So, Success with Hydrangeas, a Gardener's Guide by Lorraine Bellato. Lorraine Bellato, B-A-L-L-A-T-O. Go to her website, LorraineBellato.com. All right, Lorraine, thanks very much. You've Thank been you, great. Mike. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York to give a talk about pollinators. During the Institute's Comedy Week, on Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with boring moths and more of your fabulous phone calls. 
I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 WLVT in beautiful Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, how to defeat the dreaded squash vine borer that ruins your zucchinis, other summer squash, and pumpkins, and is just a nasty little caterpillar. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Uh, Chris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks hey. for having me. Oh, thanks for being had, Chris. Where are you, man? Well, I'm in Gladstone, New Jersey, in northern Somerset County. I'm a Philly boy, uh, but 60 miles north, it, it's a little colder up here. So where'd you live in Philly? I lived in Flower Town. That's right not the Philly! Yeah. All, all you posers! You're only <laughs> Philly if your zip code began with 191. Well... Erdenheim was 19118. So right. I was a LaSalle boy. I went to LaSalle College. So uh-huh. and I, uh, I went to vet school in, in, at Penn. So I, I'm a Philadelphian, pretty much Philly fan all the way. Oh, University of Penn. That's the Bolton School, right? Yeah. That's, that's out there at Kennett Square. That's just, uh, that's one of the premier facilities in the country. Are you still a vet? Well, 37 years. I, I pretty much retired now, and I'm trying to grow red maple trees in my yard and I'm not doing well. Okay, uh, but were you um, a regular vet or were you a large animal vet? Well, the first 10 years we did everything. We did, you name it, we horses, cattle, small animals, ferrets, <laughs> pigs, pretty much great, all creatures great and small. Yeah. Um, I got frostbite one year and I said, well, maybe I should be in a heated or cooled building. So I, I did small animal the last 25 years. Yeah, that's uh, l- large animal vets are some of the calmest people in the world. They learned how to be. <laughs> well, it helps, I would think. Yeah, they also know exactly where to stand in any given situation. Give them plenty of room, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, what uh, what's, uh, what's up with your maples? Well, in uh, September 2017, we bought 16 feet tall, three red maples. They had a trunk about two inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. We had the garden center plant them. They had a big root ball on them. They're heavy, and they're, they're, the fellows planted it. And uh, about five months later, when April, May came along, the one tree was maybe growing 25, 30 degrees off to the right. And um, I just didn't understand it. So I called it the, the, the nursery, and they came and they put a tape around it, but they, they kind of pulled it back a little bit. But I went up there on a ladder and put a couple more. But they, it, this guy really wanted to grow to the right, and politically I wanted it to be in the middle. Yeah, was, okay. He was so trying to be conservative. Okay, so a 16-foot-tall tree, you definitely need professional help. That root ball weighed several hundred pounds. Correct. Um, now, were you there when they planted? Yes. Did they dig a hole or did they auger a hole? 
good question. Uh, they dug it. Okay. And uh, the trees, when they arrived at your place, they were wrapped in a steel cage with burlap inside the cage, right? Yes. Was all that removed? Yes. It really was? Yeah, I and was there because I didn't want them. Yes, sir. Okay, so there's no burlap in the hole? No. Okay. Um, for uh, uh, But the soil, of course, was very compact. Um, mm -hmm. Trees are leafing out nicely. I'm sorry? Trees are leafing out nicely? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, and in fact, this one is the most robust. Uh-huh, right. Well, we're going to try to change that. Um, <laughs> what I'm thinking is in that root ball, uh, a lot of times, depending on the kind of soil the trees were bred in, uh, there may be just too much clay on one side or something obstructing uh, okay. the root system from growing equally with the rest of the tree. Uh-huh. So um, they're still, they're, they haven't grown that much, right? They're, they're good growers, but it, it's probably grown a good foot. Okay, but it's, it's not that different. Correct. Okay, so what I'm going to suggest, if you're a brave man, is you wait till all the leaves are gone and the tree is dormant, or, or the spring, the spring would be just as good, mm -hmm. and then you get a bunch of friends over with shovels and you excavate the root ball out. I suspect the root ball is going to come out looking a lot like it did when it went in. Uh. So I would then, you know, lay the tree on its side and very gently uh, attack that root ball with like a trowel or a poacher's spade, um, gently beat it to death and uh -huh. try and get a lot of that soil off of it until things look equal. You may even see an inequality in the root system. So then secure the tree back down in the hole. Remember, you always want the root flare to be above ground. Yeah. You, you don't want it to be a lollipop. So okay. don't throw away the soil that was around the roots. Put that back in the hole as well. Refill the hole, straighten the tree, which may mean actually leaning a little more into the direction you wanted it to go. Okay. But make sure that what's underneath the roots are as much like an octopus as you can. It, Understood. it would not even be a bad idea to make a little hill, a very small hill, about, uh, I don't know, about eight inches, a, a little mound of soil. Put the yep. tree on top of that and then try to coax the roots to go down the side. And then have a bunch of a bunch of people hold it up straight and then refill the hole. And then after that, you want to bring a hose over and, and you really want to tamp that soil down a little more than normal now. Okay. And you then you want to let a hose drip at the base of the tree, like just an annoying drip, just like a, in, in a cheap motel room for, <laughs> not that I would know what that would be like, uh, but for anywhere between 8 and 24 hours. You can't overdo this dripping. Uh -huh. And then surround the tree with a mulch of compost starting about 4 to 6 inches away from the trunk and going out as far as the furthest branch. Okay. Try not to stake it. Staking is uh -huh. not good for trees. Yeah. But I this tree is staked. I've staked the heck out of this thing. It's like trying to kill a vampire or something. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll kill the tree eventually with the staking mm -hmm. system. So I, I think this is a physical problem. I think once you get that root ball out and examine it, you'll see what's going on. 
and the trees haven't been in the, in the ground that long, uh, it should be able to survive this process. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your expertise. Well, we'll find out if it was after you do it, right? <laughs> I'll send you a picture in a year. All right. Good luck, man. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. Save your squash from the dreaded vine borer. Karen in Dayton writes, I learned from your radio program about the critters that bore into squash vines. Their eggs are laid on the underside of the leaf and then the worms bore into the stems. I don't recall the name of this pest, but I have lost plants to it in the past. I'm checking the leaves on my cucumber, zucchini, and other summer squash every day. So far, I have found no egg masses. How long do I need to keep looking? Yeah, and what is the name of the moth, and when does it lay its eggs? Well, the name of this notorious pest is the dreaded squash vine borer. That's B-O-R-E-R for those who use in radio and podcast land. And Karen, your timing is excellent as these pests are just beginning to do their damage down south and will affect states like Pennsylvania and Ohio later next month. But more on their timing in a bit. First, I need to correct a misremembrance. And don't feel bad. More people remember things like this incorrectly than not. The eggs are laid on the plant's stem, not their leaves. Now, the mama moth flies by day and looks like a weird wasp with translucent wings and an orange and black striped body. In the upper half of the country, there's only one generation a year, which is good. It means a very small window of time that your plants need to be protected. But as you move further south, there can be several generations a season. Either way, the risk is always greatest if you had the problem last season. That's the case. You should contact your local county extension office for any information they have on the local timing of egg laying. In the north, it goes like this. The adult wasp overwinters in the soil in a larval stage, technically a pupa, and emerges mid to late June in a normal season. However, in Pennsylvania, this season, this year of 2019, has been anything but normal. Baby birds that would typically hatch in late June were all grown up and out of the nest by June 1st. And I started picking my, quote, June peas mid-May. I expect insects to be ahead of schedule as well, perhaps really way ahead. Okay, so the moths mate. And then, according to the Pennsylvania State Extension System, the females typically lay their eggs in July and August. But again, our warm end of winter, early spring could move that up to June. I have seen the moth flying around in my garden, but don't have any squash out yet, so I don't know if they're laying eggs or not. Anyway, when they do lay their eggs, they deposit them on squash family plants that have hollow stems, like zucchini and pumpkins, and they lay those eggs right at the soil line. They don't lay their eggs on squash with solid stems, but they will sometimes lay eggs on the stems of cucumber plants. Now, in a week to 10 days, those eggs hatch and teeny tiny caterpillars emerge, immediately eat their way inside the vine, and once inside, they feed unseen. Soon, the plant starts wilting, and by then, it may be too late. If your squash plants look like they need water, but your other plants don't, get down and look for a hole at the base of the stem with lots of caterpillar poop around. If you see it, 
Carefully slit the vine open with a single edge razor blade until you reach the nasty, greasy little caterpillar inside. Remove it and then, well, you got a razor blade in this hand, you've got the caterpillar in this hand. Whatever happens in the next few moments is between you and your God. After the deed is done, gently heap soil and or compost over the wound. If you catch it early enough, especially before the wilting begins, these plants can recover. Otherwise, the caterpillar will live inside the stem until it matures, then it'll drop down to the soil below, dig in, and overwinter there in the pupal stage. One attempt at prevention would be to cultivate the soil where your squash grew last year and or get the wilted plant out of there before the caterpillar can escape. Prevention at planting time involves creating a physical barrier where the stem meets the soil. Some gardeners use aluminum foil for this. Others swear by medical gauze or a cut up piece of row cover. Either way, the protection should be wide enough so that a good two inches of it is below the soil line and the top goes up to the lowest leaf above ground. To be effective, this should be done at planting time, not after the fact. And don't plant squash in the exact same bed if you lost plants to this pest the previous year. Otherwise, you have two options. One is to spray the stem weekly with the original form of BT, sold commercially under brand names that include Dipel, Thoracide, and Green Step. Approved for use in organic agriculture, BT only affects caterpillars that eat sprayed parts of a plant. The other possibility is to get a pressurized sprayer and hose down the base of your squash stems in the morning every couple of days. You do that and you'll blast the eggs off before they can hatch. And finally, if this is a recurring problem, grow your squash in tall containers or containers that are up on a table so it's easy to keep an eye on where the stem meets the soil. Well, that sure was some timely advice about protecting your pumpkins now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can take your time and read all the details because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to zap my zucchini if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location or you will be entered into the Spam of the Month Club. You'll find all of this wonderful contact information, plus answers to your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our podcast, all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Special note. We're still waiting to get a complete address from the listener in Sweden who won a garden tome in our book club bonanza, but we couldn't read the full address. And there's still time for you to send us a postcard and get in the running for your own free book. But time is running out. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show and an hour-long public radio show and podcast. 
all produced and delivered to you weekly by WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick now wants to be known as at least one of our producers. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our floor manager, John DeSantis, is preparing to conduct the Godzilla Symphony Orchestra at the annual Godzilla convention next month. Our harassed and harried director, Javier Diaz, says, hey, they better have a really big conference hall. Regal Ron Ruscha is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy Cummins. Zach the Tack is in the house. There's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short of child. Khrushchev's do it idle wild. CEO Tim Fallon, where are you? I'm late for a meeting and I'm not your executive producer. I'm poor, poor, pitiful Mike McGrath, and I hope to be up to my armpits in arugula when I see you again next week. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. She's the undisputed queen of high-quality seeds. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we welcome legendary seed seller and fool for sweet peas, Renee Shepard. Plus your fabulous phone calls. 